on this episode of the Wild Rose Vet Podcast. And honestly, I think you'll find that. You will find that with a private practitioner, a mixed yeah. practitioner, because we're used to straddling that line where, I mean, it sounds really callous, but occasionally I'll ask my, my clients, is this animal a pet or is this animal a food? <laughs> This is the Wild Rose Vet Podcast with Dr. Savannah Howes-Smith. Today on the podcast, we are talking with Elise Watson. Elise Watson is the owner of a wonderful beekeeper training business in Calgary, Alberta, and the name of it is ABC Bees. She runs programming both throughout the province as well as across the country, and I know some of her programming even reaches internationally. And she's a very well-respected, and in my opinion, one of the best uh, beekeepers, I would say, in the province, if not the entire country. But I'm also quite biased. And so uh, I'm really excited to have Elise here today to talk to me <laughs> about honeybees and their role in veterinary medicine. So how are you today, Elise? Good. I don't know if I'll have anything to say with my head inflated so big in this room. I don't know if my mouth can move. Yeah, thank you, Savannah. That was a very nice introduction. I mean, it's true. I'm not making it up. I think uh, I think the work that you do with uh, honeybees and with uh, native pollinators and with introducing insects and insect knowledge to the general public, as well as the way that you can integrate it to even commercial producers, I mean, the flexibility and the reach of it is phenomenal. And so um, that's why I'm really stoked. Uh, to talk about a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart these days, and that is uh, honeybee and other types of bugs and their role in veterinary medicine. So that's something that's uh, very, very new, very, very new. This is something quite cutting edge where insects are being considered animals and as such, in a way, fall under the purview of veterinary medicine. Um, so veterinarians are doctors that can treat any species except humans, <laughs> essentially. And so I think it's uh, I think it's really exciting to be on the forefront of what's a new field in veterinary medicine, and that is the field involving insects and invertebrates. Um, I'm not sure uh, how much experience have you had with interacting with veterinarians now uh, these days, Elise. Well, it's so funny because you know when you think livestock, you think. You don't think bugs, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and, and nowadays too, like I know people who are opening cricket farms and mm -hmm. do all kinds mm -hmm. of different um, farming techniques when it comes to alternative food or animal food or protein alternatives. And so it's been really interesting as a beekeeper for, you know, over a decade now running programming education is now I have these extremely learned people just like you about animals coming up to me and being like, so there's a difference between a bee and a wasp. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, let's start from the very beginning. They know all about the birds. I have this image in my head that one day it'll be like our other species because, I mean, that's, again, that's a very, it's a general, it's a similarity that they have with other animals where many of our diseases we see in sheep and cattle and, and other animals, they are management-based. And so... Um, 
it's interesting that you bring up that point that management questions are often related to health questions. And I think that veterinarians are exquisitely placed in that we can actually straddle both of those. So you're going to have your beekeepers that are almost, um, you know, they're going to be management focused. And then you're going to have the diagnosticians that are going to be all of the diagnosis and science based. I think veterinarians at some point, certainly not now, (laughs) not yet, but at some point, I would like to see it where similar to other species, we straddle that line where we have enough information about management to provide recommendations as they relate to health, but we also have the scientific knowledge to interpret and order diagnostic tests appropriately. And probably, uh, I've, I've mentioned the comparison before, at some point I would love to see especially commercial honeybee medicine work similar to feedlots where you have a feedlot manager and you have your veterinarian and they have very two different two very different jobs but they're both involved in management and health of the herd and uh, a veterinarian is not going to replace a feedlot manager they're not the one that are going to be making the really nitty-gritty specific management decisions but they should at least have an overall inform like general idea of you know splits happen at this time or like just general ideas. They may not have all the answers for the nitty gritty management stuff, but they should at least be familiar with it. Um, but it's, it's, that's the weird part about beekeeping though, is mm-hmm. it's always been this kind of isolated mm-hmm. outlier of agriculture. So when you see conferences for like right now, there's one coming up here in Alberta and it's a conference on food and agriculture. Mm-hmm. And I looked at all the speakers and it's soybeans, corn, cattle, chickens, pigs, and then they're talking about cereals, grains, and pulses. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at them, <laughs> you know, there's not a single beekeeper speaking. There's no invitation of the apicultural industry. It's always been kind of its own outlier. Mm-hmm. And it it's weird, too, with beekeeping because commercial bee outfits or any beekeeper can keep bees on any land, anywhere. And you don't even have to pay rent. Usually it's like a bucket of honey or more to whoever's <laughs> land it is. Yeah. And then you, so you don't even have to own the land you keep the bees on or even really have a close uh, financial relationship with who you're renting the land from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you end up having beekeepers that like maybe live in Southern Alberta, but have beehives and apiaries that are, you know, 200, 300 kilometers away from their home farm. And that's why I say like we have to work on veterinarians also need to have management knowledge because not only does it play into health, it also shows that you understand what's happening and that you actually are, <laughs> you do have expertise and authority on the subject. And if you, if you, la- it's honest, I think my classic example I give is even if you know how to do a colic surgery on a horse, if you cannot wrap a stall wrap the way they taught in pony club, you are not credible in that horse owner's eyes has nothing to do with your skills or your scientific knowledge, nothing, but your credibility goes down the toilet. And it's because you don't know the basics of the management and that it's hard to be legitimate when you're talking to somebody who's been doing this for years and you don't even know what a split is. (laughs) Right. Why should they listen to your medical recommendations? Totally. And it becomes becomes even more um, difficult when there aren't even vets interested in insects. Yeah. And and that's and I don't think they're not interested in as in they're not empathetic or caring, just like the public is about invertebrates and diversity and plants and you know our ecosystems. I think they totally are, but it's but I daunting. Mean, bugs, 
is bugs what it is. Bugs are bugs. And they're totally different <laughs> when it comes to like reproductive cycles, mm-hmm. their mating, mm-hmm. their nesting behaviors, their perennial behaviors. Like they're totally variable, very different than chickens. And and even, even if you're into odd, unusual critters, right? If you're mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. taking care of bison or, or you know, parrots, they're mm-hmm. very, very different. And so I think it'll be interesting to see the veterinarians coming out of vet school here in Canada in the coming years and seeing kind of these specialty vets, I think we'll, we'll find, we'll find these unique people who are like, Oh my gosh, can I please, please, please just like <laughs> only take care of these. Oh, this is that where would you be amazing. Dr. Savannah, right. Dr. Savannah to the rescue. Oh, and, it'd be fantastic. Um, but it, but you need to be humbled by it because mm-hmm. You might know a lot about a lot of things, but bees and bugs are totally different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the pickup, I mean, you're like, there's a lot of correlative things that people can learn pretty quickly. So what do you think about, like, what do you think about being a bee vet? Do you recommend it to other vets? Like, what do you, what do you love about it? <laughs> so, um, I mean, the, the thing that I find the most fascinating about honeybee veterinary medicine is really the similarities, like I mentioned. I mean, it's, it absolutely just tickles me pink when I'm like, when I first learned about Nozema, I was so happy because it's basically coccidia (laughs) and it's coccidiosis in sheep. And I'm like, oh, my God, I know coccidiosis in sheep. I know how to deal with that. I know the management things. I know everything about that. And a ton of it translates almost directly to nosomosis in honeybees. And I think it's just like it just makes me so happy to have such a disparate strange little creatures that end up being the exact, like, not the exact same, but awfully damn close to other species that I've dealt with. And I think that's why, I mean, that's in general, one of the reasons I like doing the wide breadth of veterinary medicine that I do is that I love finding those comparisons and using knowledge I already have from another species and using it to treat a different one. Um, Because once you get that baseline, it just makes the differences less daunting and less terrifying (laughs) to know that, yes, there are, there is some commonality we are actually all animals, <laughs> first and foremost. And then the fun part comes with learning the important differences between them. Um, and that's something that I hope um, we'll be able to pick up on as a profession simply because we are used to learning to such different things. I mean, um, compared to humans that only deal with one species, even the, even the basic veterinary education, you deal with five to seven. So, yeah. I mean, the, the basis can is I, there for comparative learning. For <laughs> Sure, go for it. Can I make fun of you for a second? You got you got really excited learning about bees because you found out that sheep diarrhea diseases (laughs) and bee diarrhea diseases are similar. So you officially (laughs) got excited about beekeeping because of their pooping problems. Okay, everybody poops. Elise, everybody poops. And if they don't, they have a problem. So just to get everyone knows, nozema causes, can cause diarrhea <laughs> in your bees. And so the moment that I taught Savannah about bee diarrhea, she lit up and was like, these are the bugs for me. Oh, man, Savannah. <laughs> I mean, it's true, though. I mean, like, it's absolutely fascinating that bee diarrhea and calf diarrhea and sheep diarrhea, they've all got, you know, there's only so many ways you can poop. And there's... <laughs> Right. And it's conserved across taxa, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why we know you're cut out for the work that you do, right? Yeah. 
I envision in future it'll be very similar where there will be a handful of honeybee veterinarians, but then they will be doing work across the province um, or even multiple provinces, just like the way that feedlot, especially these, uh, that's what that's how they operate now too, is there's only a, a small handful of um, veterinarians that will work with feedlots. Um, that being said, I think you're also going to end up similar where you're going to have pockets, like you'll have these veterinarians who are somewhat interested, maybe not to the level of like the the commercial beekeeper level, but for individual hobbyists. And that's kind of where I see a lot of mixed practitioners filling that role because um, we fill that with cattle, for example. I keep bringing it back to cattle, but it's because it's a, it's a very familiar topic, uh, both for me and for, for a lot of other people, um, where I'll have clients that have like 20 cows. They're not going to be calling yeah. up the feedlot veterinarian in Calgary, who is like servicing all the major herds around the province, right? Like that's a, that's not their target audience, but they still require veterinary care, and so that's where yeah. I'm I'm hoping that even if you don't become like super gung ho specialized only in honeybee veterinary medicine, I would like to have at least some mixed animal practitioners that are comfortable to the level of saying, you know, I understand what a hive is. I understand I'm not treating the individual bee. I understand the basics of the of the production cycle and, and what happens like with brood patterns and stuff enough that they could prescribe something like oxytetracycline or tylosin or whatever. Maybe they wouldn't be able to provide the level of expertise and care that a commercial beekeeper would require, but that should be more than adequate for a, a beekeeper who just started a year ago and doesn't know what a mite is. <laughs> well, and the other thing is, is if you're a mixed practitioner, maybe you'll have better bedside man management. So when they say, like, my queen bee, her name is, you know. Her name's um, Priscilla. <laughs> Priscilla and she's died and I'm broken up and heartbroken about it. What do I do? And they have the bedside manner of holding their hand and being like, well, there are many options that we could move forward with. <laughs> and honestly, I think you'll find that you will find that with a private practitioner, a mixed yeah. practitioner, because we're used to straddling that line where, I mean, it sounds really callous, but occasionally I'll ask my, my clients, is this animal a pet or is this animal a food? <laughs> And no, then to it's have not the <laughs> to have the flexibility to kind of move between those worlds is uh, is a hallmark of of mixed animal practice. A hundred percent, it is yeah. because I have these conversations. Time people call me and they'll be saying like, "I need fifteen queens." Blah 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 blah. What are the stocks? How do we do this? Mm -hmm. like, immediately, my conversation and tone is different then. Mm -hmm. Oh, I I need to replace the queen at a funeral last week for her. <laughs> She's made it through three years in my honeybee colony, and we would like something similar in temperament, maybe coloring. I'm like, okay, we're gonna have a chat because you're basically shopping for a new cat. Is what you're doing. It just happens to be a bee, right? Um, See, I think that's so, adorable, and I kind of love that. I absolutely love that, right? Because I think that's the thing, too, that's uh, this awkward situation in beekeeping in general has always conventionally been this kind of commercial production um, model or of yield, of productivity. And then now there's all these beekeepers who are keeping the bees and honey is this kind of like sweet reward they get at the end of the year, but the purpose is never really production at all. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. more of like a, um, 
a hobby of like voyeurism into nature mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of connectivity and also just having another pet, right? Yep. Like a pet versus a food. And so, <laughs> and so it's, it's, it makes this interesting dynamic when you go to conferences, you go to meetings, mm-hmm. conversations from table to table are totally different. Uh, when you have one table talking about export prices to the Japanese foreign market and the price per barrel, and then you have other tables of like people showing their custom handmade labels. I was just going to say a, a discussion over whether a pink hive is better than a blue one. <laughs> totally. And do the bees, what colors can the bees see? And do, will they orient properly? Does red actually bring bad energy to your hot yard? <laughs> you know, like it's just like, it's really funny. I love and I it. Think, I think all these conversations have an extreme amount of value because really when it comes down to it, it's our human experience of nature. And mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. experiences are really valuable. And, and as a beekeeping trainer and educator, like I work on all these levels mm-hmm. of like conversations of queen production and stock selection all the way down to, you know, is it too much to enter my hive every day because I miss them so much. We need somebody that can fill that role of healthcare for these particular animals that do require specialized training to understand how to provide that health care. And I mean, you can even, if you really want to get like stretch out your mind a little bit, you can think about how we can apply that to other insects other than just honeybees. Um, I went to a conference a couple of years ago in North Carolina and, and uh, was chatting with um, a veterinarian from Ireland, and he's talking about how um, cricket farms require veterinarians or they they would really greatly benefit from them because they'll have problems like viral infections and stuff. And I'm just like, we had this crazy theoretical conversation about how veterinarians at one at one point will be, you know, developing vaccine protocols for cricket farms and like all sorts of cool stuff like that. So um, I just really think it's 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 absolutely fantastic. The, the amount of potential that we have um, as a profession to fit in with these different types of insect uh, production uh schedules and different types of things we could do. It's just really, really cool. And I, uh, I'm i really excited to hopefully even be even just a little part of that. I, I don't think your conversation was truly all that hypothetical, though, because we are looking at these um, people are really, like I said it before, and I'll say it again, like people are really thinking about the choices that they're making in their daily lives and being accountable for them, mm-hmm. whether it's protein mm-hmm. consumption, whether it's the protein, the, the proteins that the food animals that they are consuming are eating like mm-hmm. are they feedlot are they grass-fed um and when it comes to chickens like i love it i a chicken eats a hundred percent grain diet well by the way chickens are omnivores they mm-hmm. like their insect protein they do um and so you know i think when we are looking at the future of food there is a far more um introspection in the industry but mostly on the side of consumers Mm -hmm. which is driving industry and Mm -hmm. so veterinarians like you said are like that kind of keystone uh participant and like kind of connecting all the different diagnostics and then the management and then the producers yeah because the entomologists will be really good on like here's the protein sequence of the virus that we found the managers are going to be like here's our production targets that we're going to hit you need somebody that kind of like acts as an intermediary between them in many cases and i feel like you fill that role in a lot of ways as an educator Um, and that's something that veterinary medicine also does is we try to a large part of what i do in any given day is educating Um, and so uh, i think it's just fascinating that that honeybees 
for the longest time, they made up their own. They filled their own niche with that <laughs> um, through the mentorship that beekeepers have. <laughs> I feel kind of, in retrospect, I apologize that we've ignored you. <laughs> well, and this is the thing I was going to say, is you said, like, those clubs, like, they're not on the producer side. I'm like, yeah, because they're all just figuring yeah. out <laughs> how to keep a colony of bees alive for themselves. Like, it's going to take time. And I think that's the big thing, too, is this idea of scalability, whether it's the knowledge base of vets or scalability as far as the, the uh, potential of an, a beekeeper and operator to grow. I mean, all these things, we always look at these like kind of charts, like exploding into the sky as far as our potential and capacity. But I think it, COVID has taught us anything is like the idea of potential and capacity reality of potential and capacity are like two very separate things. <laughs> yes, And the variable is the human error of yep. like, oh, I'm a human being that needs to sleep or mm -hmm. needs to spend time doing something else that isn't this thing. And I think like that's really good for nature for us to recognize if we have a recuperation point, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe nature is a recuperation point, maybe, um, maybe, you know, and I think when it comes to vets, like if they're learning slowly through experimentation on their own, through exploring uh, their own learning curves, I think that's going to make the incorporation of veterinary medicine into agriculture and into beekeeping going to be a far more sustainable and longevity based relationship. Like mm -hmm. you mentioned with like becoming now partnerships and these stewards between all of these different mm -hmm. lenses mm -hmm. of whether it's like hyper entomological and scientific, or if it's, you know, me with my queen that I'm crying over because I accidentally pinched her between two pieces of wood inside the box, right? Like, <laughs> like I think there needs to be a very human um, experience when it comes mm -hmm. to the vet side. Yeah. And that, that's going to take time to explore on the human side, right? I think so, we so can't yeah. expect everyone to, even yourself, like you are figuring this out as you go along. But the nice thing, the one thing I love about you is that you are always, always humbly fumbling through your excited <laughs> exploration of the natural world. Thank you for listening to the Wild Rose Vet Podcast. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And while you're at it, why not tell your friends about us? Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Check out the show notes to see where you can find us on social media and for more information on the Dr. Savannah Wild Rose Vet television series. The Wild Rose Vet Podcast is hosted by Dr. Savannah Howe-Smith. Produced by Trent Wilkie, Shirley McLean, Dylan Wirtz, Tanya Conigotier, and Valerie Oudmarchand. Recorded by Ian Armstrong at Wolf Willow Studios. With original music by Wayne LaValle.